0: Welcome to Bible class. We are uh, welcome to those who are here with us and those who are also listening on KFUO. Bible class at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at Ballas and Manchester Road. This week we are studying the lessons appointed for the tenth Sunday after Pentecost. And we will begin with our Old Testament lesson which is fairly well known. Let's look at that. Genesis 9, 8 to 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you every living creature on earth i will establish my covenant with you never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth and god said this is the sign of the covenant i am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I will establish between me and all life on the earth. And we've all read that and studied that since we were kids in Sunday school. It does bring up some interesting questions. And one of those that uh, has been discussed, and of course, all this is speculation, did it ever rain before the flood? Now, stop and think about this, because you want to say, well, of course. But if there were rain and if there were clouds, there would have been a rainbow before this. That's the way the natural order of things works. So either God was preventing a rainbow from appearing until now, or it didn't rain. We read in Genesis that the ground was watered by heavy dew every morning. So, don't just automatically assume it might have never rained before the flood. Might have never rained before the flood. So, uh, interesting to ponder. To think about. Now, this is a covenant. There are two kind of covenants we'll find in the Bible. And one is that the one that binds both parties. So when God made a covenant with the children of Israel, both parties were bound. This covenant, only God is bound. Man has no part in this covenant. And we see that. Now, I have an interesting paragraph here written by a man who was Jewish and became a Christian. And this is his way of putting this. It's kind of a paraphrase. The Lord said, I have set my bow in the cloud, this is a rainbow, and the Lord said, when I look upon the rainbow, I will remember my covenant. I am a God who is just, I am a God who is holy. When justice comes before me and says, take a look at those you made in your image and in your likeness, Lord, they're sinning again. I will look upon the token of this covenant that I made with man and with beast. And I will remember my covenant saying I will no longer destroy him from off the face of the earth. My grace and my mercy will temper my justice. Okay? Now notice he emphasizes that this is a covenant that God made with man. Okay? That God made with man. This is a sure promise that God made with all, with all life. A covenant is thought of as being a solemn promise or an oath. An oath. Now, he gives a sign of the covenant which is the rainbow, okay? That's attached to the covenant. So, God is saying, this is going to be a sign to you and a sign to me when you see the rainbow. Now, the beneficiaries of this covenant are not only man, all living creatures, including the beasts of the field and all others. So it is for everyone. And it is pointed out that you don't have to completely understand it to be benefited by it. If you're a dumb cow out there in the middle of a the thing you don't have to understand that god made this promise but you're a beneficiary of it okay you get something out of it but then it was emphasized this is god's covenant it is effective because of him man did not create the covenant man cannot destroy the covenant the covenant is declared to be in effect always and that is only because it is God's promise Okay, only because it's God's promise now God makes other covenants throughout the the Bible. But usually when we talk about covenant, we as New Testament Christians are always drawn to the covenant, the testament of the New Testament, and that would be the Lord's Supper. That is a covenant that Christ made with us. Now once again, we don't add anything to that covenant. Yes, we are approached to approach the table in faith, but that covenant is totally based on literally the blood of Christ. The sign of the covenant, this covenant in blood, is really the bloodshed and the cross. That's the sign. That's God's grace. And God's grace is given to us in this sacrament. In this covenant, okay, for us. It is God that does it. We don't. We don't. We simply believe the words of the promise. So there are some parallels here. There are some parallels here. We don't push it too hard, but there are certainly some parallels here. Between the, the covenant, uh, any covenant that God made with his people, and frankly, any covenant that he makes with us is his promise, his solemn promise. So his solemn promise is through faith you receive the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. In faith, okay. God graciously gives you the body and blood of his son with bread and wine. So it's based on the solemn promises of God. Okay? The Solemn promises of God. So this is, uh, uh, you know, interesting, something to think about. Uh, as we, we look at this covenant, we've read so many times, but uh, maybe we need to look a little closer at, uh, at this. Okay, questions? And I don't know if it rained before the flood. Ask uh, Dwayne Hanks; he was here. Oh, excuse me. All right. Let's talk about Ephesians. We're in a time of the church here now when we're reading through the book of Ephesians. And this is very interesting here because in the midst of the book of, of Ephesians, suddenly the apostle Paul offers a prayer. there is literally a pause while the Apostle Paul offers a prayer. Let's read this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So it's a prayer. It's literally a seven-verse prayer. And Paul is praying here for the people of Ephesus. And he was led to share with them what he is praying for them. Now you talk about an example of divine inspiration. This is it. Because of the loftiness of this prayer. These are majestic words. They are flowing words. It would be hard for any mere man to pray these kinds of deep thoughts. Notice how Paul is not praying for the people of Ephesus to have more money or to have more of something else. He is praying for them to have deeper spiritual gifts. This is a totally spiritual prayer. He wants them to grow. And so, what he prays for them are very deep spiritual gifts. This is not the kind of ordinary prayer human beings pray. This is truly divinely inspired. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Kneeling was not that common in this day. It was not that common. If you read studies They talk about the fact that the Jewish posture for prayer was standing. Was standing. When we see the publican and the sinner praying in the temple, both of them are standing. Kneeling is not mentioned that often. So that should catch our attention immediately. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God is the father of all. He is the father of life. Every family has its origin in the gifts of God. He is the one that gives life. Every family on earth, whether they acknowledge it or not, started because of him. But the emphasis on the fact that it is in heaven and on earth, okay, points us to a reminder of the family of the church. The church militant, who is still struggling on earth, and the church triumphant, that is in heaven. And it's speaking to it as God is the father of all. He is truly the father of those outside the church. He is truly the father of those in heaven and on earth. Now, this prayer is based on God's graciousness. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Glorious riches. In other words, God's abundance. Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man. That is, that the Christ may dwell in us by faith. This prayer is only for Christians. Only for Christians. He's not praying for unbelievers here. He's praying for those that believe in Jesus Christ, that the power of the Spirit will work in their inner being. Baptism is a assumed here. It's assumed that the people of God are baptized because it is baptism that kills the old sinful nature and brings forth a new human being. A new man and woman, a new inner being. So he's praying that Christ will dwell in us and that the Spirit, who is responsible for creating and strengthening faith in us, will continue to work mightily, so that Christ's presence, Christ's dwelling in us, is both perpetual and constant. Perpetual and constant. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, okay? We have now become the dwelling place of Christ. Through holy baptism. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. All right, now he's talking about what follows Christ dwelling in us love. It is that love that grows within us. It's kind of like talking about how our hearts, our inner being, are now the soil that grows love. The soil that grows love. Paul prays that literally we as mortal human beings can understand what is beyond us what is beyond us so that as we grow in love we may have power to come to know things that are beyond us and that's to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So, Paul is praying for each Christian to grow in love. His first prayer for them is that the Spirit will strengthen their faith and then they will grow in love. And basically what he's implying is the only way you grow in love is to understand how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. Okay, And this is beyond us. God has to teach us this. This is beyond us. Someone uh, talked to me recently, someone who I don't know if they believe in Christ or not. But they were wanting to know why we pray for people to get well. The Bible doesn't tell us to do so, at least not in his perspective. And I said, well, there are prayers all over the New Testament for Jesus to heal people. They asked him to do it, and he did so. Well, but not Aunt Mary. Well, I began to see here's the problem. The person sees the majesty of God, the glory of God, but there's no personal relationship with God. So God's a busy man. He's got to feed the world and work on peace. He hadn't got time for me and my little prayer. There's lots of people like that. This prayer is going against that. Because this prayer is praying for people as individuals to grow in their faith. This prayer is for each individual to come and literally to learn and grow in faith so that you understand how much Jesus Christ loves you. Not the guy down the block. Not the church, how much he loves you as an individual. And when we come to understand how much he loves us as individuals, then we will grow in faith and in our love for Others because we know he loves them like that too. So I told you, Paul is praying for deep things here. These are not superficial requests. These are about as deep as they get, that the Spirit will work a stronger faith in you and that you will grow in your love by learning and believing in the depth of Christ's love for you. In other words, it's all God's work. It's all God's work. It's not a prayer for what you do. You're the receiving, the receiver of these things. Okay? So, And then it goes on, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We see a little bit of this in human relations sometimes, this kind of depth. Uh, What are some human examples of this? I think probably the best one is the relationship of a husband and a wife after years of marriage. They begin to think the same way. They can tell you what the other one's going to do or how they're going to react oh, they're going to blow their top at this one, okay? There is a oneness there that gets deeper and deeper with time and years spent together. I think that's the closest thing we can point to in a human relationship here. And that is the way we are to become with Christ He is supposed to change us, make us more and more like him. The scriptures talk of the image of Christ in us. It talks of how the image of Christ, he seeks to grow that in us by the power of the Spirit so that we become more and more like Christ, thinking like Him, doing what He would have us do. The close of this prayer is a doxology. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, Paul is asking high things. God, can you really work in a believer's heart and make them more and more, strengthen their faith and make them more and more like Christ, understanding the true love Christ has for them. And Paul is saying, I believe you can. That's immeasurably more than all we ask or think. We're asking great things of God, great things spiritual things, according to his power that is at work within us, beginning at our baptism. Beginning at our baptism. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In other words, we're praying that God will do mighty things in each and every believer so that they will not doubt, but they will believe and grow in Christ's love. So again, a very deep, deep prayer for the highest of spiritual gifts. Okay for the believers in Ephesus, and he wanted them to hear what he's praying for them, okay? So that is why this is in the text, but truly this doesn't come from Paul. God wrote this prayer in his heart that he prayed uh, for the people in Ephesus. All right, questions about that one? Mark? Absolutely. It would be very good for prayer partners to pray that for confirmation class attendees. Believe me, they need it. <laughs> they need it. for the for the congregation yeah this is a model prayer and and certainly we all have spiritual needs we all have physical needs but this is far beyond far beyond that this this prayer is prayed truly with an eye on heaven an eye on heaven All right, anything else? If you want to know more about this passage, you can attend next Saturday night, because I know that Pastor Prang is preaching on this passage next Saturday night. pressure's on. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 6. That first paragraph, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd, okay? Now, what was the situation where Jesus made his disciples? Some have actually translated this, constrained his disciples, It sounds rather urgent. It sounds rather important for the disciples after the feeding of the 5,000. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. Why? Well, this is conjecture. In the Gospel of John, we read of people after a miracle trying to make Jesus King. This is John six fourteen and 15. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him King by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Interesting that that was what happened after John's account of the feeding of 5,000 in his gospel. So Mark, here, is not giving us that great detail. He's just saying they needed to get out of there. Jesus didn't want them making him king. Okay? So, he made his disciples leave the area and he dismissed the crowds before they could do something Jesus did not want them doing. Because in making him king, that would have disrupted the whole purpose for which Jesus Christ came. So we think that is what is behind the word Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him. And leaving them, he went up on a mountain to pray. He prayed many times after such events, when the crowds were dispersed, when the crowd's reactions weren't the best. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land, and saw the disciples straining at the oars, because the wind was against them. All right, seeing their trouble rowing, Jesus, Jesus goes to help. Now we've got some interesting things to consider here. Let's read on. Shortly before dawn he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, Uh, They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. All right. Uh, If he went out on the lake to help them, why does it say he was trying to pass by? Now, we just read over that kind of stuff. But those two concepts don't make sense. Either he was going out to try to help them, or he's trying to sneak by. Can't have both. Well, fortunately here, the Greek helps us. You can actually translate, he was about to pass them by or pass by them, you can translate that, for he he intended to pass their way. He intended to pass their way. That solves the problem. Okay? That solves the problem. All right, so he walks... And he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The Lord of earth and sea. Okay. The reality of the son of God had come near to those disciples. This proclaims that the hostility of nature against human beings must cease at the coming of the Lord. His majesty is unveiled, and when the majesty of God is completely unveiled, it says, and they saw him and were terrified, were terrified. That he would have the capability of walking on the water. That the Lord of the sea was there. And the next sentence immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down." So in other words, he walked on the water, and as soon as he got on the boat, the wind quit. That would prompt terror at such power. And why did it prompt terror? We'll talk about that. The disciples thought he was a ghost. Okay, the actual word is phantasma, like phantom. That's the actual Greek word, phantasma, an apparition or a ghost. And then he says, "It is I." Now that's a simple little Greek saying: "Ego ame." But it immediately reminds us of something. It reminds us of Moses standing on the mountain at the burning bush and wanting God to tell him what his name was. And he said... I am." We are not capturing the totality of what's being said here unless we remember that. So this Jesus walks on water. As soon as he gets in the boat, the wind stops. The disciples are terrified at such power, and then he says, I am. And they were good enough Jews to know what that meant. They were coming to realize who this Jesus was. For a time, the disciples certainly believed that he was nothing, more than a miracle worker. They still believe that in what we talked about last week with the feeding of the 5,000. Just a guy that could feed people. They hadn't put two to two together. They hadn't come to realize they saw what he did, but they didn't understand the person of Christ, that this was God. He was revealing that to them over and over. And now He walks on the sea and the winds come. And they suddenly realize, or realize a little more, that this is bigger than they thought. He's not simply a a magician or a miracle worker. He can do more than just feed them. He's the creator of land and sea, and they must obey Him. And they were terrified. Because that's the raw power of God. And so, in the words, I am, or it is I, Notice how he surrounds that with the words take courage, don't be afraid. How many times in the Old Testament does God reveal himself to human beings and begin with the words, fear not. So that is happening here too because the natural response of human beings to God is to be terrified and afraid. So he says fear not, I am. The same God that fed the children of Israel with the manna in the wilderness has fed the 5,000. That same God who parted the Red Sea for his children to cross has now come the storm for his disciples in the boat. So suddenly there is a belief, there is an understanding. Okay. Then there's a very important phrase here. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. That saying they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. They were seeing these things. They were observing these things. They still didn't get it. They didn't understand who this Jesus truly was. They were not seeing the whole picture. They were spiritually blind and their hearts were hardened. And before we cast doubt, we'd have been the same way. We'd have been the same way. We can't sit here and say, oh, those disciples were just such idiots. We'd have gotten it. No, we wouldn't have. Because what made the difference ultimately? They didn't get it until the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. And we have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit to the degree they would. Okay? Okay. There were signs of life from time to time. They seem to understand from time to time, and then there are these other times they don't. We wouldn't have done any better. Seeing God, seeing Jesus walk on the water and feed the 5,000 is not what creates faith. And this is what... Jesus tried to get across to the Pharisees so many times. Show us a sign. It is not the signs that create the faith. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the take courage, it is I, fear not. That's what works the faith. It is the Word of God. So, this Jesus, who looks like a normal human being, reveals himself to the disciples through his word. Take courage, it is I, fear not." Now notice in this uh, account that it says that they were going on ahead of him to Bethsaida. Okay? They never got there. They went to a place called Gennesaret, and it's a sign to us that the wind had blown them way off course, or maybe that's where Jesus wanted them to land in the first place. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region. And carried the sick on mats, so uh, to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he went into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. There was a time where Jesus didn't go in to these villages and marketplaces. We read, Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the good news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. That's the first chapter of Mark. His notoriety was so huge that he couldn't go into villages and towns. He'd just be overwhelmed. So for a while, he stayed out. Here again, he's beginning to enter them. You could understand his popularity. He could feed people that were barely eking out an existence by, with five loaves and two fish. He could cast out dem, demons and he could heal all sickness. Everybody wanted their shot to get to Jesus, even to the point Just let us touch the hem of your garment. And they believed they would be healed. They believed that they would be healed. That was his reputation. That was his reputation. In the towns and the villages. So he went, went to the people. And the disciples were observing all of this and still didn't get it, okay? Not fully, not fully. All right, questions about that lesson? We got one? Yeah, Ruth. Yeah, the question is, when they saw him, they thought uh, he was a ghost. Was that common belief? Uh, People were very um, conscious, um, or I wouldn't say conscious. I'd simply say there was a belief in uh, spirits and uh, uh, a superstition involved. Yeah. And it got worse. I mean, there's lots of superstition as time grows. Um, People are very superstitious. Some are very superstitious today. Many professional athletes are highly superstitious. Will not shave on certain occasions, uh, go through the same routine every time when they win a game. They'll go through the same routine. They are highly superstitious. And the Bible just does not open that door to superstition. Uh, The belief in superstition is is a belief that that would simply say God is not in charge. When you believe in the providence of God and that he controls all things, then you realize superstition is foolishness so because by what you do or the routine or that you you don't control what goes on can't but uh yeah they they uh, just just not there yeah anything else yes Not really. Uh, The disciples' hearts being hardened were the same as Pharaoh's hearts being hardened, and the only thing that can change that is God the Holy Spirit. The only thing that can change that is God the Holy Spirit. No matter how hard it may be, the Holy Spirit can work. But uh, let's not create degrees of unbelief. You know, well, I, I... I almost believe. You've almost convinced me. Well, you either believe or you don't. Either believe or you don't. Yes? Is there any record where Jesus slept? Yes. There is a record where Jesus slept because he fell asleep in the back of the boat during a storm. And they had to wake him up. Okay? Had to wake him up. I don't know I want to wake up God <laughs> Leave that alone Paul well, the at Rock last me of this Yes Out of nowhere, out of nowhere. There are, and it was very tragic, very tragic. All right, anything else? Let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.